jump back to a section of 1 Thessalonians that we skipped, actually, while the kids were with us and the kids were watching online. And so we're jumping back and, and grabbing something that is a, a vital discussion, an important discussion, just one that I would rather parents have with their younger kids rather than me. And so um, we're jumping back as adults this morning. And, and we need to deal with this conversation, frankly, directly, and as adults, and see what God has to say about an area that Satan is using to tempt in, in devastating ways our culture today. I can remember, and this goes back, I, I may have told this story before, but this goes back a number of years, and um, we were watching a show together as a family, and it's a show that had been on TV, and we had watched all the episodes on TV, and I know another family here experienced the same thing, and just a very clean sci-fi show. It was awesome. And, and we rented a, a DVD of the pilot to this, this show. And, and we're watching the pilot to this show, and it's great. And all of a sudden, right in the minute, and I have my, uh, my nephew with us and niece sitting here. I'm like, this is a great show. Come on, let's watch this. And, and about halfway through, all of a sudden, th- this girl is nude on the screen. And for a long time, and, and I'm like covering my, my nephew's eyes, I'm looking away, Susie's grabbing the controls, and, and we're like, what is going on? It didn't fit the show, it, it had nothing to do with the storyline, and it just was thrown in there for whatever reason, although I, I, I know that we know the reason, because it was, it was thrown in there to tempt people, it was thrown in there to appeal to people who are only interested in their desires and their passions and in what they see. I can also remember being a youth pastor, and these are just a couple of stories uh, of many stories, being a youth pastor a number of years ago as well, and, and when the movie Titanic came out, and everyone in the youth group, all the, all the students were like, oh, this is the greatest movie ever, this is great, and we didn't know better, we didn't have plugged in back then that you can check things, which moms and dads, I would strongly encourage you to use that from Focus on the Family, and so Susie and I go to see it, and all of a sudden, we, ha- we have a girl that's naked from the waist up. And then a little later, we have a couple that are intimate with each other right on the screen. And we're watching. And these are, this is a show that our youth had said was a great, great movie. Something to watch. And, and the story might have been good, but those scenes alone should have been enough to turn our stomachs. Should have been enough to turn us away from that. And, and it, it's a reminder to me as we come to our text today of just how saturated our culture is in sexual images, in sexuality. I know this is a, a subject that you're like, we're talking about this in church? The Bible talks about it. The text we're going to read today was read in front of the church in Thessalonica publicly. And so we're going we're to read it and study it publicly without, without going to details we don't need to. But my prayer is that we are frank enough that the Holy Spirit will challenge us and work on our hearts. Even today, you can go watch just about any show. You can drive down the freeway and billboards are bombarding us with sexual images. I've heard some say that sex is just one of our gods as a culture, and it might be, but I would go further and say self is our god. And, and that's the, the root of this is self and self-centeredness is, is our god as a culture. And so whatever I desire, whatever piques my interest, whatever I want Whatever makes me pleasure, gives me pleasure and makes me happy, I can do that. If you want it, go for it. That's culture today. And that's 
what God is calling his church to stand against. We're in a section that, that Paul has just finished praising Timothy, going back to, 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 to First Thessalonians, um, sorry, he's just pra- finished praising the Thessalonians, going back to First Thessalonians 4, and he's starting a section of how do you please God? How do you make God happy is literally what the word means. How do you please him, and, and how is he then happy with us and, and pleased with our actions? And the first area Paul addresses is sexuality. Now, keep in mind, the city of Thessalonica was this um, modern city, port city, multiple trade routes. You had Gentiles, you had Jews. It was a large city, a very secular city in terms of not following Yahweh, not following God. But boy, did they have their own gods. And many of those had their own rights that involved sexuality in it. And so the, the culture of the time, they did not see a problem with sexual immorality. They just didn't see it. First century Roman Empire, Greek culture, in fact, it was marked by sexual laxity. It was marked by promiscuity. These temples, you would go and be with the temple prostitute as part of worship. And so this was the culture that this baby church was trying to please God in and live in. They elevated flesh. They elevated desires, feeling good over truth. One author, Leon Morris, said the Thessalonian Christians lived in a world where people did not see fornication as a sin, but as a part of normal life. Imagine being a young church and Paul seeing this and knowing what God had ordained for sexuality. And how do you come to this church and try to help them in this way? Did I lose my mic? Okay, good. But Paul goes in and he dives in. And we're going to dive in this morning. So turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 and 2 and then we're going to study verses 3 through 8. But 1 and 2 reminds us of the context. It gives us this introduction to the section of how to please God. And Paul writes, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. And so he's saying, keep pleasing God. Make this your your effort. Your full-time job is to please God. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. And so the introduction is, he's saying, remember to continue to please God. And, and, and And he just dives in and he's saying, we taught you these things the six weeks we were there. But I want you to remember them because these are vital, important things. Remember these instructions. And the first section that we'll, we'll go back and grab today, 3 through 8, says that, that what pleases God is holiness that leads to purity. Holiness that leads to purity. And then we already studied 9 through 12, which was part 2, about living out brotherly love as part of pleasing God. But God is pleased when his people are holy. When, his, when that holiness shows itself through purity. So as we dive in, we're just going to look at five thoughts out of this text. There's, there's a ton of places we can go in, in Scripture to talk about this topic. I want to stay really tethered to the text and say, what is Paul saying to this church that he wanted this church to publicly hear? How to pursue purity in a world that abhors purity, in a world that makes fun of purity, 
And I know some of you in our high school, college, maybe even down to junior high, you have friends that make fun of purity. You have friends that make fun of your desire to wait until marriage, your desire to guard what input you have to your eyes. Stand firm, and may this passage help you. Now, lest we think, okay, this is, this is a great message, Pastor Ron, this is just for the young people. We're going to talk today about even purity in marriage. We're going to talk about adultery. We're going to talk about pornography, which is on the rise, not just with men, ladies, but with ladies. And so this is worth talking about, and this is vital that we talk about. Verse 3 says this, For this is the will of God. And that should always be a flag to say, yes, I know what the absolute will of God is or what part of that will is. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Some of your translation says your holiness or that you be holy. Your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. He just dives right in. This is the first topic he talks about about pleasing God. Jumps in. There's not much of an introduction. This is God's will. Be pure. Stay away from sexual immorality. And point number one in your notes is purity is an inseparable part of growing in Christ. Purity is an inseparable part of growing in Christ or becoming more Christ-like, the sanctification, the holiness there. It is God's will that we grow in holiness. Amen? We, we would all agree with that. But one of the first ways that Paul shares with this church we do that is by getting sexual immorality under control. There's a whole lot of reasons for that. Do we let our flesh rule us, or do we let God rule us? What choices are we making? But he says it's God's will that we grow in holiness. Like I said, that word for sanctification is the process of becoming holy, moving towards Christ's likeness through holiness and purity. We were going to pause for just a moment and change a battery. sound and tech team are doing a great job in the weirdest of circumstances, so thank you very much. So it's God's will that we, we grow in holiness and we move towards Christ's likeness, and part of that is it's his will that we abstain from sexual immorality. This answers the question that I get sometimes, or the statement that I get sometimes, Pastor Ron, God's word doesn't say anything about sex outside of marriage. God's word doesn't say that we should wait until we're married. I think you're reading into it. No, no, we're not. It says it as directly as you can, and it starts here with that you abstain from sexual immorality. It doesn't matter if some people in our world think the Bible doesn't speak to this. That's part of us putting ourselves as God and justifying what we want. But that word for abstain from sexual immorality, we start with abstain. It means to stay away from, to stay as far away from as we can. And the word for sexual immorality, as I studied it this week, and, and I've studied it before, it's porneia in the Greek. As I studied how it was used, it is used of any sexual activity outside of marriage between one man and one woman. Okay, let me, let me repeat that. That word means no sexual activity outside of marriage between one man and one woman. Think about what that covers. Just think about that. Sexual activity doesn't just mean intimacy. It means any of the activities surrounding that, any type of sexual sins. 
this definitely includes adultery, and that appears in the text to be an issue that he's dealing with, that the church is dealing with. It includes sex before marriage. It includes prostitution. It includes homosexuality. And some of you are like, okay, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm married. Okay, we're good. It also includes porn. That's sexual activity outside of the confines of marriage, the context of marriage. It includes off-color dirty jokes and the way that we talk. And those things, those sexual jokes are included in this word to abstain from sexual immorality. To those that are dating, this includes even sexual activity like touching places with someone not your spouse that you're not married to. It includes talking sexually and intimately in that way with someone that isn't our spouse. And so not to get too graphic, but my, my prayer is that we understand the breadth of this word so we don't leave ourselves loopholes to say, well, I can sin a little bit. I can get a little close to the line. And I'm sure there's more things I haven't listed, but I think you get the idea. It's saying stay away from any sexual activity outside of marriage between one man and one woman. The Bible is clear on the limits. And the reason it's clear is because intimacy between a husband and wife is something that was created by God and given by God as a gift. And so many times as we talk about these things, we can, think that we, we can portray this, this idea that intimacy is always bad. No, it is a gift used within marriage. And God designed it for marriage for a husband and wife. He designed it to be the deepest physical connection to match the deepest emotional commitment and the covenant of marriage. He designed it to be a recovenanting of marriage between a husband and wife, that, that much like we, we celebrate communion, and that's recovenanting with God. Intimacy is a recovenanting, a reminder of our vows. God designed this to be amazing if we use it the way he designed it. But we keep using things in the wrong way as a culture. We don't use them the way God designed it because we're like, I know better. I'm going to be God today, and I'm going to change how we use this and change how we think about this. And God created it and wrote the owner's manual on it. And he said, use it in this way. I have a broom here. A, a broom is a, a wonderful tool if you use it what it's used for, right? You can sweep. You can, you can do things like that. But what if I said, you know what, today I'm going to use this broom as a drumstick. Are these Drake's drums? He's not here. <laughs> Pretty cool, huh? You're impressed with my musical aptitude? It's not what it's for. Maybe I'm going to use it for the keyboard. <laughs> no, Liana is here. <laughs> um, it, it, quite frankly, it's stupid to use it for things that it wasn't intended for. It doesn't work. I, I, I can still make noise. I can get some pleasure out of it. I can, I can still do something. But it is stupid to use it for what, it, what it's not designed for because it's designed for a specific purpose. And when we think of intimacy, when we think of sexuality, God has given this gift to husbands and wives, and culture and Satan is doing everything they can to pervert it. Because not only if they pervert it can they, can they make people fall into temptation and sin, and, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but if, if Satan can pervert it, he can take away the joy that God intended it to, to provide for marriage and the purpose within marriage. 
Now, I know you might be here today or you might be watching today and you're a new believer, and this is all very new to you because we live in a post-Christian society, and, and I've talked with a lot of people that have come to Christ, and they're like, really, it says that? And, and it's so strange, but I would ask you to trust God and trust his word and trust his design. Do we trust the creator to point us in the best direction for what he's created? Absolutely. So verse 3, purity is an inseparable part of growing in Christ. Now I want to I pull a couple things out of this verse. Purity is part of sanctification. Okay, It's not all of sanctification, but it's part of sanctification. And the inverse is true as well. Immorality stops sanctification. Immorality of any kind stops sanctification. If, if you are giving in to those desires, if you are giving in to any of this sexual activity outside the context of marriage, I guarantee it is affecting your walk with God. And I guarantee it is a wall that is stopping you from growing with Christ. And it's stopping your prayers. It's stopping your reading of the word. You cannot be growing with God and living immorally. You can't. And, and, and if you're here this morning or you're watching this morning and you're like, man, I have this secret life. I know what's going on. You need to hear this. That may be what is stopping you from growing with Christ. That may be what is stopping you from becoming Christ-like. And so this morning, my, I would urge you and plead with you, let's, let's take care of that, let's deal with that, let's get rid of that. Randy Alcorn says, our sexual behavior reveals who or what rules our lives. That is so true. Our sexual behavior reveals who or what reveals our lives. See what this verse says, tying holiness to purity, is that God's people are to live God's way. We, we trust God's plan, whether married or single, and we live God's way, and we trust him, and that's part of sanctification. That's part of holiness. You know, how, how do you pursue this? How do you remember that sanctification is tied with purity, and you can't have one without the other? The first thing, and you hear me say this a lot, but I would start with what Psalm 119, 9 through 11 says, when it says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By taking heed according to God's word. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We need to be memorizing and meditating on God's word. If purity is something you struggle with today, start by memorizing some verses on purity. I, I put one here that down at the bottom of your notes. I put another one. There's more. Those are a couple that I just have in my memory passage as, as well, just to, on, on guard to try to build a hedge. But listen to Ephesians 5, 3 through 5. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. See, if you're doing one, you don't have time for the other. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetousness, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And that is sobering to say. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this more at the end. This isn't saying that if we've ever fallen in this area, we're out. We can't go to heaven. But it's saying if this is a lifestyle that is unconfessed, that we haven't let Jesus' the blood cover, then it is keeping us from a walk with God. 
So start memorizing verses on purity. That's one of the ways to help with this. Cultivate your walk with God. Well, one author said, when our joy is satisfied by Jesus, sin becomes more unattractive. When our joy is satisfied by Jesus, sin becomes more unattractive. And so the answer to this, I don't think, is to say, okay, I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to look. I'm not going to think about it. The answer is to saturate ourselves with who Jesus is and how he loves us and with the word and just dive into that and the attractions will fade away. Purity is an inseparable part of growing in Christ. Village, this is also why I wanted to go back to this text. We could have skipped this text. We could have, we could have not come back to it. But if it's an inseparable part of growing in Christ and my, my heart and my deepest desire is that we grow in Christ as a church, we've got to go back and study the text. We've got to see what God's word says. We move on to the next two verses for point number two, verses four and five. That each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Again, Paul's just very direct, which I think is very helpful in this topic. And point number two is be in your control of your body rather than letting your body control you. Be in control of your body rather than letting your body control you. Now, I am fully aware that probably nothing we read this morning is new to you that have grown up in the church. And today isn't like, oh, that's what God thinks about that. Today might be, oh, that's where the Holy Spirit's convicting me, and I need to work on that. And in this one, that's the case. Be in control of your body. Rather than letting your body control you, the verse says that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Control meaning to keep our bodies pure. And this really gets to the question sometimes or the, the, the statement sometimes I hear from people, but, you know, the, the urge is just too strong. I can't help it. You, you can't expect me to control that. It's a natural urge. No, the Bible says through the, through the strength of Christ, you can control this. It can be helped. It can be conquered. There can be victory in this area. And so he says, learn how to control your own body in holiness and honor. There's all kinds of, of different things. You probably have a footnote in your text for control his own body. There's a couple different ways that that can be translated. Um, and uh, one of the ways is possibly to grab a wife for yourself. Um, that might fit there. There's a, there's a lot of reasons why that doesn't work. I like the ESV's in, um, understanding of this. Control his own body. Because it literally means to, to take a vessel. And vessel is often used for the word body. And um, so we can talk more about that later if you get into all the word stuff and things like that. But verses 4 and 5 really give us a positive way to do it and a negative side of doing this. Or, and it gives us both the, the carrot and the stake maybe or, or both sides of this. The first he says, control your own body in holiness and honor. And this is the positive side. This is, okay, this is what you should pursue instead of impurity. Holiness and honor. And it's really two tests for self-control. Is this holy? Is this honorable? As we're watching a TV show, is this holy? Is this honorable? I guarantee you ask those two questions, that's going to cure the TV show issue. As, as we think about other entertainment issues, as we think about conversations, or maybe if you're married and friendships with the opposite gender that are growing deeper, is this holy? Is this honorable? The word for holy is to be set apart in purity, and it comes from that our God is completely holy. 
Leviticus 19.2 says, You shall be holy, for I, Yahweh, your God, am holy. And so we are to be set apart from a fallen culture. We are to be different, to be a little weird in this one. To the Thessalonians and to us, because our, our culture is very similar to theirs, be different, be willing to be different. You know, again, to speak to the young people for a minute, yeah, I've seen a lot of people make fun of, of purity and waiting. But in the end, I've always seen that stance respected. People can make fun of something they respect, usually because of guilt. And so hold firm and take a respectful course. Be like God. Be holy. Set apart. Honor. Is this honoring? And, and honor has, has, there's two ways of thinking this. Is this honoring to me and my body? But is this honoring for others? Is this honoring God? Those are all things that we have to think through this. So, so honor has more of an outward idea. Keeping one's body with honor. Doing the right things. Come back to intimacy and marriage. It's both of those things. It's holy and sacred because God has given that as a gift to a husband and wife. It is honoring to each other in that context of commitment and covenant. It is honoring. But outside of that, it is neither of the two. In verse 5, he goes to the other side of this and he, the contrast, the comparison. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. It's interesting, the passion of lust, he uses two different words there. Passion here is the word, a word for sort of letting your emotions drive you. Ah, oh, I feel it. I've got to do it. I can't hold back. And just letting our, our, our drives and emotions guide our decisions. It's very self-centered. Very. It's being carried along by your desires. Picture a, a raft going down a river or rapids toward a waterfall. And we're just sort of passive. Let it happen. Give into it. That's the word here for passion. Lust here, the word is, is a word that's used for actively acting on your desires. And so, so he hits both sides here and, and, and says, not in the passion of lust, so not being carried along by your desires, that then you act on in lust. Don't do this. This is the world. This is those that don't know God. But you do know God. You have the ability to withstand this. You have the ability to self-control. And not just surrender to one's passions. What does that say about God if we just surrender to our passions and desires? If we just let pleasure control us. Village, it's possible to control. But it takes discipline. It takes work. It takes practice. I think of it a, a lot like a muscle. You know, muscles are something we build through work and through practice. Self-control is like that. But we might have to radically change some things. We might have to be so committed to self-control that we eliminate sin before it even is a temptation, that we change our lifestyle and eliminate even going down this path. Because we have this comparison between those that love God and those that don't. John Stott said this about this comparison, about this verse. If the heathen behave as they do because they do not know God, Christians must behave in a completely different way because they do know God, because he is a holy God, because he is our God, and because we want to please him. Amen. The deepest reason for verses like this is 
we want to please God. But are we willing to do what it takes for self-control? Are we willing to do what it takes to start controlling desires? A book that I've recommended at the end of your notes is called The Purity Principle, and I just want to read a story out of it, a section about it that, that I think really applies here. It's about donuts and wanting to avoid donuts. But I think you'll get the metaphor. Imagine someone whose weakness is eating donuts. His doctor says, no more donuts. He vows to God, no more donuts. He promises his family, no more donuts. He calls the church and gets on the prayer chain. He even goes to a donut deliverance ministry to have the demon of donuts desire cast out of him. I understand. Here's a guy who means business, right? But then what does he do? Well, if he's, a lot like a, if he's like a lot of us, he goes right on reading about donuts, listening to donut music, watching television programs about making donuts. He spends his time with other donut lovers talking about donuts, and he jokes about donuts at the office where he often glances at the donut calendars on the wall. He looks through the newspaper for donut coupons and subscribes to donuts' desires with its glossy color photos. It's not long before he's driving the long way to work that just happens to go by a donut shop. He rolls down the window and inhales. Pretty soon he's buying the morning paper from the rack right outside the donut shop. He's lingering just long enough to check out donuts through the window. Goes on from there. It's a silly thing about donuts. But he's using that as a metaphor for our desires and letting our desires control us. And are we willing to cut out the things in our life that lead to sin. See, so many times self-control is about a, an earlier stage, and we try to stop it in the moment, and we try to say, oh, no, I, I, I've got to say no, and I've got to withstand. I don't want to click on that website. I don't want to engage in that talk, and, and we're in the moment. Whereas if we found ways, if we were serious about this and found ways to stop sin before temptation comes, that would be a different story. You know, so we need, to, we need to work on this. We need to replace those desires with reading scripture. We need, you know, as, as we're fighting this fight, call a brother or sister in Christ, a trusted brother or sister in Christ, and say, you know what, I'm struggling today. I'm struggling in the area of purity. Will you pray for me? Will you help me? We've got to get to a point where we can have trusted brothers and sisters in Christ where we can have that conversation where we can say, I need to stand with you, and I need you to stand with me. You know, change patterns that saturate us with these images. Set blocks on your router at home. Most routers have a, a place where you can go in and put in a whole bunch of keywords that will block any site with those keywords. It's a wonderful thing. It's not foolproof, but each of these are helpful ways to start to work on self-control. You know, all the routers and all the computers have parental controls now. Try setting those for the parent and your kids. If you're dating, don't be alone in dark places. Hello. Eliminate shows that have scenes that, that put these images in your head. That's voyeurism anyway. Let's call it what it is. And either eliminate the show or, or use an edited version. They have all kinds of clear play and different editing here. The Bible never commands us to watch movies. But it does command us to guard our hearts. Think about that. This, I know this, this can be radical, but do we care about our walk with God? 
Because we've already said that the immorality blocks that. And now do we care about taking self-control over this issue? Think about what images, if you're married and have a family, think about what, what that says to your family, what they see you watching, which channels they see you linger on. Stop the sin before it starts, not in the heat of the moment. Do whatever it takes. God tells us to abstain. He will give us the power to do it. And so we know it affects our spiritual walks. We know that we want to take control of our bodies, not just let our bodies control us. Point number three out of verse six, and this is, this is so important to understand We are sinning against and harming our brother or sister in Christ when we commit immorality. We are sinning against and harming our brother or sister in Christ when we commit immorality. And and this again is denied. But no one will ever get hurt, but we love each other. Hogwash. You are sinning against and harming and defrauding a brother and sister when we commit immorality. Verse 6. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. And transgress means sinning, crossing a line. The word for wrong there is actually a word for defraud or robbing them of something. And so Paul here is going to what this does in our relationship with other people. You are sinning and harming, defrauding your brother or sister in this matter. Because, and and this should give us pause. See that you not do this because the Lord or Jesus is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Oh yeah, that's solemn. That just got real. Jesus will avenge this. See, not only does immorality affect our relationship with God, but it affects our relationship with others because it is defrauding and harming them. Whether there's consent or not, which is a a silly word. When we go outside of the confines of, of God's will. You know, we're in a whole section on loving each other as well in, in this section of 1 Thessalonians. And this violates that. Do we want to defraud? That word can sometimes be translated exploit or take advantage of a brother or sister, a fellow image bearer just for your pleasure. And, and I hope this steps on toes this morning. I hope this challenges us deeply to understand that our own desire for pleasure is harming someone else. It violates the holiness and honor in the prior verse, but it's an act of fraud against a brother or sister in Christ. It takes something that does not belong to you. And Paul is speaking of this oh so seriously, and so we need to see it that seriously. Now, I I can see all kinds of of people. I've heard all kinds of arguments against this. But think about this. If this is intimacy before marriage or outside of marriage, this is a mingling of souls with no commitment, with no covenant. It is making false promises that will not be held up, and it is providing false intimacy. And you are doing that to the other person. We are helping ourselves and causing the other to stumble and stop their sanctification. So not only am I affecting myself, 
but if, if impurity stops sanctification, I'm doing that to someone else. That's not love. That isn't. We're gratifying ourselves at the expense of another. I, even beyond that, we're defrauding that person's future spouse. We're defrauding our future spouse. This isn't love, it's lust. Think about during marriage. We're married and, and we, we start to seek those desires outside of the covenant of marriage. And it's breaking an oath and it's mingling our souls. As, as um, Chandler talks, mingling our souls with someone we haven't covenanted with. And again, this seems to be that there's some adultery happening here. It affects their spouses. It doesn't matter if it's secret. It doesn't matter if someone, no one ever finds out. It is depriving of covenant and breaking covenant, and that always breaks relationship. It harms all involved. It harms families beyond just the two of you. I am keenly aware that if I am ever tempted to go down that road, that it doesn't just hurt Susie, but it hurts my kids, and I am keenly aware it would, it would hurt this church. And so I am willing to put extra protections in place to make sure that's not even a path I go down. Some will say, well, well, porn is the victimless one. It's crazy. It always harms others. It always degrades others. First for yourself, your own mind, it is degrading either male or female. It is degrading the sacredness of sexual intimacy. It is making us think of others as pieces of meat and as objects. But it also changes it, it changes our relationships with other people. It changes our friendships with other people. It changes whether we can be brothers or sisters in Christ. It, it makes intimacy just a bodily function rather than a sacred recovenanting. Man, I, I'm sorry if I'm talking too direct. But we've got to understand the seriousness of this. And that doesn't even get into that the whole porn industry is based on exploiting women and abusing women. And as, as God-fearing people that, that believe in the sanctity of life and, and of, as image bearers, we should stand against that. There is no place for sexual immorality in the people of God. And Paul is that serious about it when he says Jesus is the avenger on this. Jesus is the avenger. We are sinning against and harming our brother and sister when we commit immorality. Those first three are really the bulk of Paul's points. From here, he, he, he goes back over them and adds a couple of, of nuances to the points that, that are our points four and five. Point number four is verse, from verse seven. We are created and called for so much more than immorality. We are created and called for so much more than immorality. We're created to holiness and purity. Verse 7, just a short little verse that I, I put as your memory verse today. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. And that word called is one that Paul uses when God has an intentional plan for you. And he has called you to that intentional plan. And he's saying God has, has intentionally intentionally planned your future not for impurity but for holiness to serve him do we think the creator might know what's best for us 
when he calls us to a certain course of action, might he know what's work, what works best? You, know, you, you, you all practice this every day. An illustration I've used before, you go to the gas station, and most of you that have regular cars put regular fuel in there. You don't put diesel fuel in a regular car. Why not? You kill it. You destroy your engine. Conversely, you don't put normal gas in a diesel engine. You don't. You know, if you have an electric car, you don't pour gasoline all over the electric intake. We, we intuitively know this in areas that like that where we're like, yeah, I can be good. But God has given us an owner's manual for, for intimacy. And he said, this is a gift for marriage that will help your marriage, that will be beautiful in marriage. Trust me. We're created and called for so much more than immorality. He's called us for good works, to accomplish exactly what he wants for the kingdom. If you're still on this planet, and if you're here listening, I'm assuming you are, if you are still here on this planet, then God still has a job for you to do here that he has called you to do. Don't cheapen that by pursuing immorality. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Follow your calling. His calling and his commands are for our good. God wants us to enjoy life, not to hate it. He's, he's given us life to enjoy to the full. Follow the instructions. And one of the applications out of this, again, if immorality is something that you struggle with in different settings, Dive into your calling as a believer. Dive into ministry. Dive into doing things for God. Idleness is often one of the biggest friends of immorality. But if we're busy serving God, man, it, it'll, it'll help conquer this. It'll help see victory in this. Point number five out of verse eight. Last, the last thing that Paul adds on, he says, Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, that adds huge weight to this, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And point number five says, impurity takes God and his presence lightly. Catch this one. This is impactful for me. Impurity takes God and his presence lightly. The wording Paul uses there is, if you disregard this command, you're disregarding not him, but God himself. Disregard meaning to treat as null and void, to treat lightly like it is nothing. When we pursue immorality, we are literally telling God that he didn't know what he was talking about and we are taking his commands lightly. That is sobering. And, and again, in the heat of the moment when passion is going, we're not thinking this way. I know that. That's the last thing that anyone is intentionally thinking at the time. But we need to, that's why we have to think about this ahead of time. That's why Paul had this read in front of the whole church. So when we're in our right minds, we can make the right choices. Impurity takes God lightly. It disregards him. It disregards his commands. It says he's of no account. But also the last phrase, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And, and this, there's two aspects I want to bring out of this phrase. The first is a warning aspect. Because Paul is saying, you as believers have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. His presence is with you 
no matter what you're doing. Think about that for a minute. His presence is with you no matter what you're doing, including immorality. And that is taking his presence lightly. That is, that is spitting in the face of his presence. But also on the positive side, so that's the warding side that gives me chills. But on the positive side, Paul is saying, you've been given the Holy Spirit, who is the one that enables you to victory in this area, in a difficult area where our passions do rise up and do try to control us. The good news is the Holy Spirit has been sent to help. He is our helper. So do we take him lightly or do we follow him? That is the question of this last, this last verse. We follow him through prayer. We follow him through being sensitive to his leading. But saying, God, through your spirit, protect my eyes today. God, through your spirit, protect my interactions today. Lord, help me to conquer thinking of the dirty jokes and telling the dirty jokes. Help me to conquer the images I can see. Help me to look away when I see the billboard. Help me to change the channel. And, and the Holy Spirit is there to help, and he's given other believers to help. You know, if you have magazines that are coming at home, secular magazine, guys, you might want to have your wives look through those ahead of time and either cut out things with pictures or what. Take this seriously. And, and, and this morning, I know I'm talking to everyone here, but men take leadership in this. Especially you men that are dating, the, the ladies you're dating are craving you to stand up and do the right thing and just take a stand for holinesses in your relationships. And ladies, if a guy's not willing to do that, run as fast as you can. This is serious. Because if someone's not willing to stand up against that, they're not willing to listen to the Holy Spirit. And that is not someone you want to be. I want to end with one final thought. A passage like this can be a really difficult passage. On one hand, it can be like, yeah, preach it. We know how we have to go forward. On the other hand, I've been in ministry a long time, and I know that these things are a struggle across the board. And I know that there are failures across the board in these areas. Some of you have worked to overcome porn. Some of you weren't pure before you were married. Some of you are struggling with how you talk and what you watch and what you look at. And some of, for, for many of you, that's in your past. And my message to you today is that God is a God of grace. And God is a God that forgives. And if those things are in your past, it does not mean it defines your present or your future. Because by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, he paid for every one of those sins. Every one. And if we come and repent, if you've done that in the past, then guys, you are clean. You are pure. Past sin doesn't make you impure forever. The blood of Christ is enough. It is enough. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Faithful meaning he will definitely forgive and he will definitely cleanse and make us pure. 
And so whereas this text, we can come and be like, oh man, this hammers us today. I want to end by saying, no, it doesn't have to. If we come to God and repent and see his work in our lives, this can actually be a beautiful thing of saying, see what the blood of Christ covers. And then stop and change behavior. But see what forgiveness can cover. Purity starts today. Starts right now. Let's trust God for that. Let's pray together. Lord God, we've come to a challenging text. Such a pertinent text for the world we live in, Lord, and for the the temptations that every person sitting here watching goes through. So, Lord, help us to understand some of these principles, that, that, that our purity is directly tied to our growth in you. Lord, that, that self-control is so much better than letting our bodies control us, Lord, to understand the harm and defrauding we do to someone else when we go down the, the path of impurity. Lord, to understand you've called us for so much more and you've given us your Holy Spirit and your presence. Lord, give victory in this area for every person here. Lord, my prayer for Village is that we are a pure church that stands for purity, that stands for holiness, because that's when you use your church, is when we stand for holiness, Lord. So if there's anything that needs to be gone and taken care of, I pray that people deal with that today. And you create a holy church ready to do your work, ready to leave the building and make a difference for you. Lord, I pray for those struggling that you would give victory in this area that they would feel forgiveness, that they would feel your grace, but then they would also feel your power to conquer. Lord, may we be a church as well that helps each other deal with this rather than shames, rather than ostracizes. But we stand together and say we will be pure together. Lord God, thank you for your word and the challenges of your word. In your name. Let's stand and and end with a couple songs of worship as we worship God for his holiness and thank him for his grace. Oh, Lord God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for being with us that the God of the universe would die on the cross for our sins and extend unmerited favor, his grace to us that we don't deserve. Oh, Lord, we want to please you. We want to follow you with our lives. Thank you for your word, in your name.